and welcome to a new era of Conversations with Consequences. We are the ladies of the Catholic Association, bringing you witty and charming, in-depth conversation on the topics that matter to you with the leading thinkers and movers of our time. And you can catch us every Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern on your favorite local EWTN affiliate, or you can find us on Sirius XM Satellite Radio Channel 130. I'm Dr. Gracie Christie, your hostess, and we have a great show lined up today, as per usual. It's the end of the year drawing near, and we have asked Lina Nealin, who is the Director of Corporate and Strategic Initiatives for the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, to share with us their annual Dirty Dozen list. Since 2013, the National Center on Sexual Exploitation has published this list to name and shame the mainstream players in America that perpetuate sexual exploitation, and they're actually getting results. She's going to tell us all about that. But first, we talk with a good friend of the show's Stephen Mosher of the Population Research Institute, and there we have a lot to talk about. He's an expert on China. We'll talk about terrible uh, conditions there for the Uyghurs, also what's going on in Hong Kong, and in general, just the terrible doings of the Chinese Communist Party. Welcome to the show, Stephen Mosher. Well, it's good to be here with you again. I'm very happy that you're with me. You're a person that I have a tenderness for you because thanks to you in in some part and not an inconsiderable part, I have a little girl from China because I was very, mm -hmm, I was very affected. I was very affected by your reporting of the tragedy that is the one child policy in China and the horrors around that. Well, every baby girl adopted from China is a life save. So you've given a new life to your daughter. She'll bring joy to your life. And of course, you've given her life. So I'm very glad to hear that. I'm uh, I'm actually the godfather of a lot of little adopted baby girls and handicapped children of both sexes uh, across the United States. So... Uh, the problem, of course, of China's one-child policy will reverberate down through the generations. They now have a population that's aging and dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, they now are trying to get their birth rate up after, you know, after killing 400 million unborn children in abortions. Wow, it's it's a tragedy that's going to unfold for decades to come and generations, really, as you say. I don't know, maybe you're not keeping track of this, but do you envision the the adoption program restarting after the shutdown, after the COVID shutdown? No, I think that China is going to want to keep all of its children to itself from now on. Uh, This year, 2020, is a year that China's population actually will begin to decline. Uh, The official release numbers from China, of course, are fabrications, as are all statistics from China. But in fact, China's population is aging and this year will begin uh, to fill more coffins and cradles. So they really have have created a demographic trap for themselves uh, that they've fallen into by eliminating half of the last two generations. I mean, the one-child policy was in place uh, from 1981 uh, through 2016. They put in a two-child policy in 2016, but guess what? The younger generation of Chinese don't want to have children or they stop at one and many of them don't get married at all. So the long-term problem of China is not too many children, it's too few children. And uh, I'm very much afraid that the Chinese Communist Party is going to turn it around in the same heavy-handed fashion that they forced down the birth rate years ago. They will now begin to force up the birth rate by forcing women to get pregnant, even if they don't want to. That is a terrible projection. I hope that it it's not true, but it does make complete sense uh, from a communist party that has that kind of iron control over the population. I mean, decades and decades of forced abortion and raising people's homes when when they went ahead and got pregnant with child number two or number three. I mean, these are people that are capable of anything to pursue their ends. They, they really are. And they regard the people whom they fondly refer to as the masses as really nothing more than a kind of herd. And, and 30 years ago, 40 years ago, they decided to thin the herd. And now they've decided that the herd has gotten too thin and they're going to have to force the birth rate up again. So the Communist Party leaders have no concern for human life. They are actually the biggest killing machine in human history, uh, probably not counting the 400 million abortions. They have eliminated about 90 million Chinese from the face of the earth in purges and persecutions of various kinds. So that's uh, that far eclipses Stalin's record. That far eclipses uh, Adolf Hitler's record in terms of the total number of people killed. So uh, 
th- these are these are not good folks. And nevertheless, uh, there is a general acceptance of of China, despite the history of the Chinese Communist Party. We're seeing some rather scary uh, connections being drawn between between the Communist Party and the incoming administration. I don't know if I want we want to delve into that, but there does seem to be a general acceptance. Is it is it because of uh, money? The, the the big picture is this that China practices what I call elite capture. They go into Hollywood, they go into the financial center of New York City, they go into the political center of the United States, Washington, D.C., and they identify key decision makers. And they actually approach those key decision makers with sweetheart deals. They invite them to China. They talk about investment opportunities. They provide funding for relatives. Uh, We all know, I think, by now that, that Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, got a billion and a half dollars, $1.5 billion from the Bank of China for his little boutique investment firm, Rosemont Seneca Partners. And it's just amazing. I mean, I, I joke to my son that if I took my son Matthew to China, we would he probably wouldn't be offered a billion and a half dollars of an investment from the Bank of China for any company that he wanted to start. So this was obviously uh, nothing more than a, a, a thinly described uh, disguised bribe. But this has been done over and over again. It's not just the Bidens. It's 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 people in the House of Representatives and the Senate, governors, county executives. A lot of people are in business with China because they have been sought out as potential or or actual decision makers, people of influence in the United States, and the Chinese Communist Party cuts them in on a deal. And the deal is this. Uh, We will give you a lot of money. We will allow you to make a lot of money. But from now on, you have to put China's interests ahead of America's interests. You have to try to shape American foreign policy to benefit China uh, rather than the citizens of the United States of America. Uh, This has gone on for a long time. It's now being talked openly about by people like the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, and the Director of National Intelligence, John Ratliff. But a lot of people are implicated. A lot of people have been uh, seduced, suborned, bribed. A lot of institutions have been infiltrated in the United States as part of a long-term plan by the Chinese Communist Party to dominate the political and economic process in the United States. When you look at it and see what's going on, as I do, I'm able to read, write, and speak Chinese. Uh, I fear for the future of my country. Why should regular Americans care? I mean, you and I care, uh, for instance, because we care about Chinese people uh, that live in China, and and we don't like to see their government uh, assuming more and more control over their lives in in such a terrible way. Why should an an average American care that the Chinese seem to have a little too much say in, in, in what goes on? Well, I think because the goal of the Chinese Communist Party is this. China wants to dominate not just Asia, but it wants to dominate the world. It wants to replace the United States as the preeminent power in the globe. And it's well on its way to doing that. Its economy is still somewhat smaller uh, than that of the U.S. economy. But the long-term goal is this. By 2049, and this is a kind of 100-year plan, it began with uh, the foundation of the People's Republic of China in 1949. The 100-year plan is that China will come to be the dominant power. It will be the industrial heartland of the world. And the United States will serve three functions. Those functions are this. Uh, We will provide food to feed China's workforce because China can't feed itself. We will provide raw materials to feed China's factory furnaces because China doesn't have much in the way of natural resources. And third, we will be consumers of the products that China's workers and China's factories produce. That's our role, to be a farm, a large farm, for to provide food and raw materials for China and consume the products that result. That's not a future that I want to bequeath to my children and grandchildren. I think the, 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 the world of the future will be a much better place if the United States continues to be the preeminent power in the world and promotes things like human rights, freedom of conscience, freedom of association, freedom of assembly, representative government, all the things that, that uh, our founding fathers set out over 200 years ago. You paint a very bleak picture, Stephen, and it occurs to me that the chances of this happening grow when we are confronted by the realities of the economic lockdown being pushed upon us, you know, with the reason of the actual virus that came out of China. (laughs) Not that it's a conspiracy, but there's too many things happening promoting China's cause. The Chinese Communist Party 
I believe, deliberately released the China virus on the world, COVID-19. I call it the China virus because it came from China and it was deliberately released on the world. We know that now. Our intelligence agencies concluded that months ago, that China locked down its own cities, cut down its own domestic air travel while letting planes full of Chinese passengers, some of whom were infected with the China virus, travel all around the world. Mm -hmm. So the pandemic originated in China, was spread by China, and China, uh, the Chinese Communist Party, has sought to take advantage of the dislocation that has resulted in Europe, Asia, Africa and here in the United States as a result of this pandemic that they unleashed upon the world. But in terms of why we should be concerned as Americans, it goes beyond the fact that we've had uh, this problem with the China virus for the past few months. This will pass. We have treatments now for the China virus. We have very effective therapies. We have uh, inexpensive drugs that are very effective. Uh, We have a vaccine for those who are interested in taking it. But beyond the China virus, uh, we have to think about this. Our elites uh, on Wall Street, for example, have deliberately transferred companies, factories, and jobs to China Mm -hmm. uh, for the last 20 years. And they have done that. They have done that quite deliberately because they are being cut in by the Chinese Communist Party into this deal. And the deal is that you, we will give you market access in China. We will allow you to get a niche in the China market in exchange for political clout in Washington, D.C. And so if you become a friend of China, you make a lot of money uh, as long as you do China's bidding in Washington, D.C. But what that means for ordinary Americans is this. It means that American factories are closed down, that factory jobs are shipped from the U.S. to China, and that the middle class is is devastated by losing well-paying jobs. And of course, the lockdowns have just been devastating to the middle class as well, because uh, tens of thousands of small businesses, restaurants, other small businesses have been shut down uh, because of the uh, because of the pandemic. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Conversations with Consequences. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie, and we're speaking to Stephen Mosher of the Population Research Institute and an expert on all things China. So, Stephen, I think the way that they're treating the Uyghurs. I'm sure that um, all our listeners have heard about this, but maybe you can give us a little capsule of who the Uyghurs are and how exactly the Chinese communist government is abusing them. Well, we have to understand that, that China is an empire that has survived into the modern age. China proper is the eastern half of the country, but it is also a colonial power because it occupies Tibet, it occupies Manchuria, and it occupies parts of Central Asia. In Central Asia, what's called, used to be called East Turkestan is where the Uyghurs live. There are Turkish-speaking people, largely Muslim, but not entirely, who have lived in East Turkestan, what the Chinese call Xinjiang, for thousands of years. After the revolution uh, in 1949, the Chinese Communist Party invaded East Turkestan, just as a few years later it invaded and conquered Tibet. But for years after that, the Uyghurs were allowed to live mostly in peace and follow their religion and follow their culture and speak their language. No more. Xi Jinping, dictator for life, Xi Jinping, the head of the Chinese Communist Party, to whom everyone now looks for guidance as the core leader, has said that all minorities in China are to be eliminated. And that elimination is underway with a ferocity that is hard for Americans to understand in uh, in eastern Turkestan. Here's what's being done to the Uyghurs. The men are being locked up, the heads of families. These are men you know, in their late 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, locked up in a, in a huge, newly constructed network of concentration camps in Xinjiang. They're in the concentration camps. They're first forced to work uh, because China has done something that the Soviet Union and Nazi Germany was never able to accomplish. They have made their forced labor camps turn a profit. And these poor Uyghur men are in those concentration camps working to produce goods which are often sold overseas uh, in the United States. So that's what you do with the men. The women left at home, uh, perhaps with small children, are being subjugated in another way. The huge Chinese police force, an occupying army in Xinjiang, is billeted with the women, one policeman per woman. Oh. And so you have you have the men being arrested, sent to concentration camps, and Chinese men coming in and taking their place in the, in the households, the women and children who are left behind. But that leaves the problem of young adults. What do you do with those between the ages of 16 and say 25 as yet unmarried well they're being sold and i use the word sold deliberately to chinese factories 
areas on the East Coast and the export area of China, where all the factories are making goods for export, in batches of 100. You can read advertisements in the Chinese press. I have them uh, on my uh, on my Twitter feed, which show that factory owners, uh, Chinese factory owners, can order Uyghur young people in batches of 100 to come and work in their factories. But the conditions are these. You have to have a factory compound with walls around it and gates because the Uyghurs are to be kept locked up except on Sunday afternoon uh, when they're let out for a few hours of recreation in the city that they're in. The Uyghurs come with their own police force. So you don't have to worry about security if you're a factory owner because they come with policemen to watch them and, and make sure they, they don't cause any trouble. They come with their own cooks as well so that they, they'll have food that uh, you can feed them that they're accustomed to. And every day after the long workday, which is 10 or 12 hours long, there is a mandatory study session in Mandarin Chinese because the Uyghurs are to be taught the Chinese language and culture as quickly as possible to wean them away from Uyghur culture and teach them to be good, proper Mandarin speakers. The lessons, of course, focus on not just language, but political lessons. Uh, they learn, for example, to quote the sayings of dictator for life, Xi Jinping, at length. This is a this is a three-step process to destroy the Uyghurs as a people. You lock up the men, you compromise the women, and you take the young people away a thousand miles away from their homeland and then lock them up and use them as slave labor. That's what's going on in Xinjiang. It is genocide in real time. Case has been presented to the International Criminal Court, which has said we can't start proceedings now because there's not enough evidence, but we're still providing more evidence. This is this is a tragedy. We have fortunately begun. The Trump administration has sanctioned the senior Communist Party official in charge of Xinjiang, this area where these terrible things are being done to the Uyghurs. But much more needs to be done. We should not be buying anything that is made by slave labor anywhere in the world. And how do we know what's being made in those camps? We've been tracking some of the goods that have been produced by these Uyghur serfs or slave labor. There was a factory uh, in northern China that was using the Uyghur young people as slave labor, making Nike shoes. Now, Nike says it has sent the Uyghur laborers home, but we can't be certain that's true. Uh, so there are a lot of name brands in the United States uh, that have been implicated in this. About 25% of the world's cotton is actually grown in the deserts of eastern Turkestan, where the Uyghurs live. And a half million Uyghurs are now being used to pick cotton, to grow and pick cotton, which is then sent to mills in eastern Turkestan inside these concentration camps uh, where the workers are using them to make cloth and, and clothes that is then sent to the uh, United States. So uh, you got to be very careful in buying anything from China. I mean, I boycott. I don't buy anything made in China if I can help it. But certainly where you're talking about apparel, look for goods made in Mexico, the United States, Vietnam, India, anywhere but China. Because if it's made in China, chances are it's made by uh, by these weaker, weaker slave laborers. And where is the world's will? How are people looking away from this? Well, a lot of people, as we talked about, have been compromised by Chinese money. And and we need to find out, you know, who those people are. And we need to be transparent about what the cost is of doing business with China. Because it's, it's not just the genocide against the Uyghurs, of course. The Chinese Communist Party has now forbidden the use of the Tibetan language in mm. schools in Tibet. Terrible. And so the Tibetan people aren't even able to to teach their children to read uh, in their own native language. The same thing is happening uh, in Mongolia. The same thing is happening to other minorities in China. So it is forced assimilation in all of China. It is literally genocide in among the Uyghurs. And I will say one more thing about the Uyghurs. They are probably the primary source of forced organ transplants in the world right now. There is a new uh, system uh, in China of concentration camps. And at the center of the concentration camp is a crematoria to dispose of the bodies of those quickly who are who have been killed. But many people in eastern Turkestan are being killed for their organs, and their organs are being harvested from them. Of course, they die in the process, and then those organs, the heart, liver, and corneas, and so forth, kidneys, are sold to foreigners who come in and want a new heart, kidney, or liver. China does more organ transplants than any other country in the world, and it does them on demand. That is to say, we have people waiting years for a kidney in mm -hmm. this country. But if you, if you want a kidney from China, you make contact 
contact with the Chinese who are selling kidneys, and they will say, come over on November 16th, and we will have a kidney ready to be transplanted into you. We've already found a tissue match. The only way that can happen, the only way is because they kill people for their organs on demand as soon as they have a buyer. But this sounds like a dystopian novel. It, it doesn't even seem that it could be possible. Well, you know, it seems totally possible. What it doesn't seem is that the world could look away and allow this to happen. Although the world's attention does seem to be focused on Hong Kong. Do you think that there's an opening here for people to start um, reacting, the world governments, world governments to start reacting to, to the oppression? I certainly hope so, because Hong Kong uh, is one of the, the, the great cities of, of Asia. It was, it was uh, started uh, in 1840 when the Chinese government ceded the island of Hong Kong to the British to be used as a trading port. And it has grown uh, over the past two centuries into a city of seven and a half million people, which until 1997 was under British rule. And because it was under British rule, it had what? It had a free press. It had freedom of association. There were free, free labor unions. Uh, there was freedom of conscience. The Catholic Church, uh, Christian churches all thrived uh, in Hong Kong. It reverted in 1997 to Communist Party rule. But the Communist Party promised, under an agreement with Great Britain, that it would be allowed to continue to have its own separate laws, its own separate legal system, respect for human rights, its own separate legislative council, that is its own separate legislature, for 50 years. And guess what? Like every other agreement the Communist Party of China has ever signed, they broke the agreement. They broke it a couple of years ago by saying that the agreement we signed with Great Britain has only historical value. It has no value today. And over the last year, they have locked down Hong Kong. They have now brought Hong Kong into mainland China in a legal sense. So Hong Kong is losing its separate identity. People in Hong Kong are being arrested. My friend, uh, Jimmy Lai, who's a great Catholic, by mm -hmm. the way, I've got a picture of uh, Jimmy Lai, who's a, who's the, uh, who runs the sole surviving free paper, newspaper in Hong Kong, the Apple Daily. Uh, has just been arrested and may be put in prison for the rest of his life. I think he's 73. Um, he may go to prison for the rest of his life. Why? Because he prints uh, accurate news about what's happening in China in terms of the loss of freedom uh, that they were promised by the Chinese Communist Party so many years ago. Um, he's in he's in custody now. Um, as I say, he's he's a great Catholic. I have a picture of him. Uh, sitting in his living room, and he has a picture of the Madonna and child on the wall. And he says he will never surrender. He says he would rather die on his feet than than, uh, than grovel on his knees before the Communist Party. And they will punish him for that, because in China, everyone, everyone with no exception, has to take a knee uh, to the Chinese Communist Party. Um, otherwise, you're punished. He's one of the world's uh, great martyrs, or he's shaping up to be. And, and I and I hope that his uh, visibility, his I mean, he's a billionaire who could who could have left Hong Kong um, any time knowing that this was happening. But he's he's uh, he has that kind of courage. It's very rare. He chose to stay and fight. And I know that Cardinal Joseph Sin, um, another old friend of mine from Hong Kong, has spoken up on behalf of uh, Jimmy Lai. They know each other well. And Cardinal Zen himself, um, along with other Catholics in Hong Kong, are now in danger of being arrested. And I, I have to tell our listeners that, that the Hong Kong freedom movement uh, that has we have seen in the streets of Hong Kong over the last two years, which is now being crushed, was led by Catholics, uh, by not just Cardinal Zen, but by young Catholics who, because they believe in in uh, in in, in freedom of choice because they believe in, in, in that they were gifted with a free will because they were they believe that uh, the natural law grants them certain natural rights. They stood up against communist tyranny and, and many of them along with Jimmy Lai are now going to be going to prison. A number of them were have been taken across the border uh, to a Chinese prison on the mainland uh, where I'm, I'm afraid they will be very, very badly treated for a long period of time. So it, it's not just Jimmy Lai. There are, there are lots of uh, uh, martyrs now in, uh, in Hong Kong today, martyrs for the faith, who are now 
uh, experiencing a, a dry martyrdom of imprisonment and torture, but who may very well be killed. Uh, and, and we have to understand they're being killed because they're fighting for freedom, but their, their views on freedom come from their Catholic faith. Stephen, it's been wonderful having you on, and thank you for giving us this this capsule of so many things that, that we ought to be concerned about that is going on in China. We only have a minute left, but what can we as uh, regular civilian Americans do to further the cause of freedom in China? Well, I think we all have to educate ourselves on what's happening uh, in that country, and that country is becoming darker and more totalitarian by the day. Uh, Xi Jinping is really, I, I don't want to use the word reincarnation because we Catholics don't believe in reincarnation. <laughs> But he is, he has studied Mao Zedong, Chairman Mao, mm -hmm. one of the great mass murders of human history, and he is modeling himself on Chairman Mao. He wants the church uh, in China to be composed of uh, all of the Chinese citizens who worship not God, but who worship the Chinese Communist Party and its leader, uh, Xi Jinping himself. And, and I would just say we need to pray for our suffering co-religionists in China. And I think we, we need to make sure that we are not uh, cooperating uh, with this evil. And uh, if, if, if we can, um, in, in buying things, if we can be careful uh, to buy things made in countries that share our values and institutions, that we would be better off as a people. And Stephen, where can our listeners follow you so that they can uh, learn more about these things? Well, our website at the Population Research Institute is pop.org, P-O-P dot O-R-G. POP is short for Population Research Institute. And uh, we have all of our material on China and on the life issues around the world uh, posted there. Well, thank you very much. Also on Twitter, what's your Twitter handle? A Twitter handle is at Stephen W. Mosier. I'm also on Parler at Stephen Mosier because someday soon uh, we will all be taken off Twitter by the high-tech oligarchs. <laughs> it's true. I totally agree with you. That's not far away, I don't think. Well, thank you very much, Stephen. Again, it's a, it's a delight to have you. Good to talk to you. with consequences, we're excited to introduce our next guest, Lina Nealon, Director of Corporate and Strategic Initiatives for the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, which is an organization that's doing amazing work across the country, pointing out and recognizing some of the biggest companies and groups that are allowing human trafficking and other kinds of exploitation. So welcome to the show, Lina. Thank you so much for having me. I just was on your website, and it's amazing. You, you have a list, as you do every year, of the dirty dozen companies or in this case companies in one state that mm -hmm. um that are that are heavily engaged in ways that are surprising i mean i went through each one and and i found them surprising and disturbing companies and the state of nevada which are are engaged in the uh, terrible exploitation of women but also boys and girls and and men in different ways so what why do you put out this list and what do you hope to to achieve by it yeah so this our annual annual Dirty Dozen list um, has been around since 2013, and really we wanted to call out mainstream corporations. So companies that you and I use, you know, Amazon, Netflix, Visa, Google, um, that are facilitating or profiting from sexual exploitation. I, don't, I think a lot of people don't realize that these companies either, you know, with poor, poor safety measures or just by willful ignorance, allow exploitation to happen on their platforms. So, of course, we don't believe any entities should be profiting from, you know, sex trafficking or sexual objectification or systemic sexual assault. Um, but we really want to highlight these corporations because they hold enormous power in shaping culture. Um, and in having immediate impact. So every year we call out 12 uh, mainstream entities. So again, it's mostly corporations, but as you noted, we said we have exceptions. We um, have featured Nevada for allowing uh, legalized prostitution in several counties. We've featured several U.S. federal agencies, such as Department of Justice and Department of Defense. Um, and we call on them to make specific changes. And what I love most about the 
30 dozen list is that um, it's really a very easy to use platform for the general public. So anyone can take action. We have had hundreds of thousands of actions um, calling on these corporations that have, have led to many, many victories. You know, I did like that about your platform. For instance, I'm very active on Twitter. And mm-hmm. right if, when you go into each one of these uh, dozen dozen companies or state the state of Nevada, they um, you you can click and tweet exactly the the information that you want because I think a lot of us we want to we want to express ourselves in in the internet <laughs> instead of on the social media platforms instead of just nattering on about ridiculous things. But um, you know it's hard to create tweets and and get the content out there. But so you you do make that easy. And I, and I have to say that we I want to go through some of these the corporations that you have on your on your website because they were very surprising to me for instance well actually I'm, I'm not going to say they were very surprised because I was aware so for instance Netflix I canceled my Netflix account uh, some time ago and because I you know for a while I was using it especially during COVID um, I'm not a big TV watcher but I had this time on my hands like a lot of us mm-hmm. right when the pandemic first struck um, right. and then I noticed quickly that there's pornography on Netflix it's honest mm-hmm. to goodness pornography and I was disgusted so why single out Netflix? I mean, I'm, I'm assu- I assume most people, the 150 million plus people who use Netflix know that there's pornography on the site. They must not care. Right. So we, as we're developing this list and looking at, at which corporations to highlight, um, you know, we really do look at what are the popular brands, right? Like what are, we're not just looking at necessarily users, although we do look at that, especially for the technology platforms, you know, in terms of potential, not only abuse, but potential impact. Um, and then we do look at brands that are very popular. And and as I said, are shaping culture. Um, Netflix is so popular. Mm-hmm. And for um, a long time, they had very poor parental control. So I'm a mother of four kids. We don't let our children, you know, just be clicking on the TV. But, you know, sometimes my three-year-old would grab the control. And there were times where I would come into the room and I am seeing very sexually explicit images right on the TV. And it was very easy to bounce between profiles on Netflix. So we really pushed on them um, to create specific profiles um, that could be locked down by a pin code, for example. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So that children couldn't bounce, you know, between assigned profiles. So they did make that change and made um, improve the the this pin code system um, so that it was closing some loopholes and keeping children safer. So oh, that's um, a wonderful yeah. improvement, Lena. Yeah, and and again, I, I do want to stress to the listeners that. One of the reasons what's great about that these are mainstream corporations is that they care. They care what they the do users care. are saying, right? They mm-hmm. want to know if their customers are are dissatisfied for something. And not only, you know, by by people staying, staying silent, we're legitimizing what's happening. Um, the corporations are also legitimizing the sex industry. Um, but, you know, they, they're afraid for their bottom line. And so if they can hear from customers, um, it, it really does make a change and and we're convinced that Netflix made the changes because so many people did um, email them and tweet at them Um, and and again we've seen that time and time again with the corporations that we've placed on the dirty dozen list that um, they really do respond to this grassroots galvanization of saying what you're doing or what you're not doing Um, we see it and we're we're asking you to stop you know, Netflix uh, brings me to TikTok because mm-hmm. in my mind, it brings me to TikTok because recently at our my the youngest daughter's parochial school, we got an email saying that the, there was a challenge going around on TikTok. And as our most of our listeners must know, might know, TikTok uh, appeals to elementary and middle, middle school children. So we're talking six to 13 year olds, more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a very fun website, uh, sorry, platform, and it's very appealing very quick moving uh, moving and kids really love it and there was a challenge going around tiktok that said watch uh, videotape your face while you watch the first 12 seconds of a movie on netflix that happened to be unrated and i forget the name of the movie of course my husband and i we went and we closed the door of his office and and we started to watch the movie we both screamed because we're not in the habit of watching pornography Mm -hmm. Um, i'm still scarred from the experience and uh 
this went, you know, and this was a challenge going around uh, 11 year olds for 11, 10 year olds. And right. so, uh, you know, but you point out on your site that besides the, the obvious misuse uh, and pointing children towards pornography, there is also the very fact that TikTok is being used by adults to groom young girls and boys. Exactly. So, um, first of all, TikTok, you shouldn't even be on TikTok if you're under 13. And it is um, deeply disturbing how often we do hear that children younger than 13 are on TikTok, that teachers are um, encouraging students to communicate through TikTok. Um, it is there is it's rife with pornography and um horrific content but yes as you said tiktok was being um it was a predator's playground um they were very easy access to children for grooming um sending and requesting nude images easy access to children's accounts um they were truly horrific and and one of the worst social media platforms and we put tiktok on our 20 20 dirty dozen list and pretty soon after our public announcement um tiktok did meet with us because what we do you know we also are trying to do direct advocacy with these executives at the various corporations and entities um and certainly getting the public behind us helps and so they did meet with us we met with survivors who had experienced exploitation um survivors of sex trafficking and child sex abuse to talk to TikTok about what was happening on the platform. And they pretty quickly instituted several major um, problems. They put there, it used to be that if you put on safety features, they would reset after every Mm -hmm. 30 days. That no longer happens. You now, if you do sign up as a minor, you have to pair it with an adult um, that, so there's this, family pairing mode and the parents can have controls that are locked with a four-digit pin and they also made it so that there can't can be no direct messaging for anyone under 16 for all mm-hmm. these controls are predicated on parents actually what giving their children a phone that and then watching what their kids are doing on the phone right because my so, experience is that most parents around where i live anyway they hand their kid a phone around the age of nine with no oversight well, you know, you can enter in an age, but it's very, of course, it's so easy to change your age. So it is so important that parents understand what is happening online. And mm-hmm. with a smartphone, you are, um, you are giving your children access to a very dangerous tool. And there needs to be a lot of, ref- first of all, understanding of the risks. And there's some great resource- resources out there. And people can come to our site and sexualexploitation.org. One of our ally organizations, Protect Young Eyes, gives very easy um, reviews of these various platforms of video games. Video games is a major way that traffickers and pedophiles are reaching children um, and devices. So there's, you know, you can go and see Chromebooks and and smartphones and how to lock them down. But so there needs to be the understanding. There needs to be um, reflection on, you know, what is your child? Why does your child use this phone? Are they ready? You know, there are flip phones. You don't need to give your child a smartphone. Um, And even if you don't, you need to be having these conversations in your family with your children about pornography, about the risks, because even if they're not using it, you you have sufficient controls in place at home. They can very easily go to a friend's house, go to school, and we know this happens often, um, and 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 see pornography there. Um, and and be playing video games. So there has to be a response, um, an understanding and response of parents of what is happening um, in their children's, you know, online, their virtual life. You know, um, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she Mm -hmm. said, I I heard on Twitter today, she said that sex work is real work. And that brings me to Nevada. What, Mm -hmm. What is the connection that our listeners have to make between prostitution and sex trafficking that we need to understand. Thank you for asking that. I I think it's so important that your listeners and just the general public understand that it's all very interlinked. Pornography, prostitution, sex trafficking, you can't talk about one without the other. And prostitution is not 
work. It is not a job like any other. Those who are in the vast majority of those who are in, in prostitution are coming from extreme situations of vulnerability, whether that's abuse at home, you know, sexual abuse, physical abuse, domestic violence, um, poverty, systemic racism. Those that are in the, the prostitution world um, really are not there by choice. They're there by lack of choices. Now, there's a very small, very vocal, very privileged minority that, that claims that this is something that is empowering, that it's a women's right to choose. But what we find is often those um, who are the most outspoken come from a place of privilege and are often backed by the the broader sex industry so it's and we are seeing this movement that to that's now being linked with calls for criminal justice reform to decriminalize uh, prostitution and sex work and we know from survivors of prostitution that this would be devastating we've seen in other countries where this has happened we have seen it in nevada which is why we continue to um you know, point public opinion. It's a failed experiment. This has been tried legalizing, fully legalizing and fully decriminalizing the sex trade makes the demand skyrocket. And the demand is what drives the entire sex industry. And what I mean by demand is is those who are purchasing sex. Unfortunately, it's mostly men who are purchasing sex. So they are driving the industry. And when you legalize it, it skyrockets and you literally can't fill you know the brothels fast enough with the victims um and what we really need and what we advocate for is what we call the abolitionist approach where pimping brothel owning sex buying um remains criminalized and law enforcement attention is is on those perpetrators and that victims instead of being criminalized are offered exit services and support because again most of those who are in prostitution are not there by choice um and if you're a minor in the sex industry, you are by federal definition a sex trafficking victim. So we do see people really want to separate separate pornography from prostitution from sex trafficking. They're all they're all intertwined, um, and we really do need to fight against this this uh, push for decriminalization and really call out what is actually happening and when you do legalize or fully decriminalize. Is it useful to equate uh, a certain por proportion of prostitution with sex slavery? Is that a useful equation? Um, it's very hard. So it's an underground industry, right? So it's hard to get at numbers. Um, and it's difficult, too, when you look at the life of someone who's in prostitution. Often they'll enter as a minor, so they're, you know, they're a sex trafficking victim. And then, you know, there's nothing magic that happens when you've been, you know, bought 10, 15,000, 10, 15 times a night, right, it, for, for years, thousands of times by the time time you turn 18 and then all of a sudden you're 18 and you're a consenting adult right mm -hmm. and then it could be that you you know are fall under on um, the control of a pimp which again pimps are traffickers it's they they operate as a trafficker does so it, it's hard because you know in the lifespan of someone who's in prostitution they may by 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 legal definitions um fall under trafficking or not but again i think what we emphasize is that having worked extensively with survivors um survivor leaders you know survivors who work with other survivors um we know that this is this truly the the vast majority would never have had chosen this that um it was a lack of choice i, I once interviewed a buyer who said sure you can say it's a choice but it's like jumping out of a burning building. You can say you had a choice to do it, but really, was it a choice at all? And we would argue that no, it's not. Oh, that's so tragic, Lina. Well, Lina, we're out of time, but um, I wish that we could have covered some more of your dirty dozen because they're fascinating. <laughs> I just want to mention one of them is Google. Another one is Wyndham Hotels. And it's really very fascinating. I, I tell, tell our listeners, please, where they can find the list and, and deepen their understanding on this subject. Yeah, we'd love your uh, the visit your listeners to visit our 
our site and sexualexploitation.org. You can read all about the Dirty Dozen list um, and in past years. And I think really importantly, read about the victories because um, I think we all need good news about this and to see that there is some incredible change that has happened. Um, your listeners can take action. We're still we're constantly updating that. So, um, for example, Visa just cut ties with Pornhub. We're thrilled. We've been advocating for this all year. But now we want them to cut ties with the entire porn industry. So your listeners can take action. And then um, we will be revealing the 2021 Dirty Dozen list on Tuesday, February 23rd. So people can watch for that or sign up um, to our newsletter to receive information about who our 12 targets will be for the upcoming year. Well, thank you very much, Lena, and good luck in your work. It's uh, very, very wonderful work, and, and it, it really deserves to, to succeed in every way. Well, thank you so much and for raising attention to these issues. And now, Father Roger Landry offers us, as is customary, a short and inspiring homily to prepare us for this Sunday's Gospel. This is Father Roger Landry, and it's a joy to have a chance to ponder with you the consequential conversation God wants to have with us this Sunday, when we'll have the opportunity to ponder how to prepare well for the celebration of the Lord's birth by focusing on the lessons we can learn from the Blessed Virgin. The fourth Sunday of Advent each year, as we draw closer to Christmas, the Church has us ponder either Mary, as we do this year with her Annunciation, and next year with her Visitation, or St. Joseph, upon whom the Church meditated last year, with the angel's words to him in a dream that we'll hear on Christmas Eve. Mary always leads us to Christ, St. Louis de Montfort taught, in a phrase St. John Paul II loved, provided that we live her mystery in Christ. We climb within Mary's womb, so to speak, to draw close to the blessed fruit of that womb, as he is silently, silently growing, as we listen to Mary's contemplative heartbeat, as it seeks to synchronize our heart to hers and to Jesus. This need to take on this Marian perspective is always important, because so many of us struggle to live Advent well. We spend more time shopping or at the post office or watching programs on Frosty and Rudolph than we do together with the Lord. Without even knowing it, we become immersed in a secular way of living December, watering Christmas down to season's greetings. Our souls can be touched, as they should be, by the stories of secret Santas who go out of their way to be good to others. But we don't spend time on how, by coming into our world, God was the greatest and most generous giver of all time. Even this year, when because of the pandemic, there'll be far less time walking in malls or traveling to parties or, sadly, getting together with family members. Many are struggling still to put God first. Early this week, two different religious sisters in different convents told me they were really struggling in Advent because they were spending so much of their days baking gifts and preparing cards for volunteers that their souls were becoming dissipated. That's why all of us always need Mary's help, especially in Advent. Mary is, in some sense, Advent personified. She was the one God himself prepared through Immaculate Conception for the incarnation and birth of the Word of God. She wants to help us relive her mystery. What lessons do we learn from her? Especially as we ponder the scene of the Archangel Gabriel's visit, asking if she would become the mother of God's Son. First thing we learn, to allow God to clean our interior abode. God did so with Mary through her Immaculate Conception. He does so with us through our baptism and confessions. Mary continues the work of St. John the Baptist, gently, maternally calling us to be free from sin so that like her, we may welcome God within. The first reading on Sunday, we'll see how David wanted to build a house for the Ark of the Covenant for God's presence. But God instead told David he would build him a house. We know that this promise was fulfilled in David's descendant according to the flesh, Jesus. When the Son of God became man and dwelt among us, he took up his first abode, his first tabernacle, in Mary's womb, living there for the first nine months of his life on earth. Sometimes, like David, we can be so focused on doing something for God that we can miss the point that God wants to do something for us. He wants to make us a temple where Jesus Christ can come to dwell in a similar way to how he dwelled in Mary. And that requires being cleansed. We're never going to relive Mary's mystery in Christ without being freed from sin and filled with God. The second thing Mary helps us to do is to pray. Mary is a true model of prayer. Her expectant prayer was the prayer of the Jewish people awaiting the Messiah. She treasured everything in her heart. She was filled with longing for God. When the archangel Gabriel said to her, the Lord is with you, 
It was just a revelation of how she was always seeking to be with the Lord. We're never going to relive Mary's mystery in Christ without prayer, without carving out the time to meditate on all God has done, is doing, and wants to continue to do. How do we do that? A great prayer is the rosary, especially the joyful mysteries of the rosary in these days before and after Christmas, in which we enter into Mary's contemplative academy. Another great prayer is the Angelus, in which at noon each day or three times a day at six noon and six again, we meditate on the scene of the Annunciation and learn from Mary how to become a handmaid of the Lord who lets God's word be done in us. The third thing Mary wants to help us learn is a sense of amazement at the mysteries we're preparing to mark. As pure as Mary was, as much as she prayed, little could she have ever imagined that the long-awaited Messiah would be the Son of God. God the Son would be her Son, according to the flesh. The Word of God literally became man and dwelled within her, dwelled among us. She became for nine months the living temple of God. Mary, therefore, can help rekindle the wonder that should exist in our minds and hearts of the mystery of the Incarnation, not merely 2,000 years ago, but now in the Eucharist, when we worthily receive Jesus, which is the greatest privilege in the world. Many of us have lost that amazement because the practice of the faith has become routine. Even the Advent and Christmas seasons have become routine. Mary can teach us how to recover the amazement we once had. Fourth, Mary teaches us about how God's life is meant to grow within us and change our life. Pope Benedict wrote in a beautiful exhortation of the Word of God and the life and the mission of the church 10 years ago. Every Christian believer in some way interiorly conceives and gives birth to the Word of God. Even though there's only one mother of Christ in the flesh, in the faith, Christ is the progeny of us all. Thus what took place for Mary can daily take place in each of us, in the hearing of the Word of God and in the celebration of the sacraments. Let's break that dense phrase down. There are two essential acts of motherhood. Mary was told by the angel Gabriel that she was to conceive in her womb and bear a son. We too are called to emulate Mary in these two acts, conceiving and giving birth to the Word of God. Throughout the Middle Ages, an icon to the Annunciation, the Holy Spirit was depicted entering Mary through her ears because she listened to the Word of God. In the same way, through our hearing, each of us is called to conceive God's Word, to take it in, to become impregnated with it. As the Word continues to grow within us, to take on our flesh, to change like always happens in a mother, the way we eat, sleep, walk, and live. Then, when the Word of God has grown within us to such a degree that we cannot contain Him within, we give Him to the light, as the Spanish say. We give birth to Him in words and in deeds. Jesus once said, my mother and my brothers and my sisters are those who hear the word of God and put it into practice. We've never had a problem with recognizing that Jesus' brothers and sisters hear his word and act on it. But Mary shows us likewise how to become his mother by hearing that word and letting our whole life, as she did, develop according to it. I want to stress one last thing Pope Benedict said. He wrote that what took place for Mary can daily take place in each of us, in the hearing of the word and in the celebration of the sacraments. Daily. What an incredible gift, therefore, we have when we listen to or read sacred scripture, and especially when we receive Jesus in Holy Communion. What happened in these mysteries we mark at Christmas happens in us each day. To relive Mary's mystery in Christ is to live like Mary by faith, to abandon ourselves to God's love, to entrust ourselves to his plan. This is the way we need to prepare for Christmas. We turn to Mary with the words of the archangel, with the words of St. Elizabeth, with the words of the church throughout the century, and ask her to pray for us so that God may help us to learn and relive her mystery as a temple of God's presence, cleansed and holy, prayerful, full of wonder, and cooperative with God's plans so that we too may be true servants of the Lord, whose lives develop according to God's word and will. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus, whom we're preparing to receive on Sunday. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now, that we may convert, let Jesus grow, let him reign, so that together with you, St. Joseph and all the saints, we may adore him forever after the advent of earthly life. God bless you all.
Thank you, Father Landry. To hear more from Father Landry, check out his website at catholicpreaching.com, and you can also catch his writings at EWTN's own National Catholic Register. A big thank you to all our listeners for joining us. I hope that this show was helpful. I hope that it gave you more peace and more hope and more joy, and you go with our prayers. 